0: Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. Last week, episode 132, I talked with Diane Keach. She heads a LLC called Safe Child Protection Consulting, S-A-F-E, Child Protection Consulting. It means safety, analysis, follow-up, and empowerment. If you can listen to that podcast, this episode 132, I did it last week, I would encourage you to listen to it. It's very good. Diane has dedicated her life to helping children in the foster care, adoption, abuse. Uh, she has been doing this for over 3 decades now and she lives in Kansas City, Missouri, and you can get a full scoop of what we talked about last week, and it will it will really encourage you. She is an encouraging person. She loves God. She is a Christocentric, bibliocentric individual who cares, not just cares about children, but she wants to help them in practical, tangible ways. And she also has a passion for the local church, even though she's been in the culture, all of her career uh, working in the culture working for judges working uh, for these agencies she's learned a lot god has has taught her a lot and she has an interesting story and so i did the podcast last week and it was so good and after the podcast was over we kept talking in fact we talked for almost an hour and a half after the podcast was over and because we were talking through Skype, I was recording that because that's what our recording system does. And typically, whatever's left at the end of a podcast, I I cut it off in post-production and discard it, put it in the trash. But as I was listening to my conversation with Diane after the podcast last week, it was too good. And so I want to share with you what we talked about after we stopped the podcast. And so this is episode 133. I'm continuing my conversation with Diane. We were freewheeling. We were off the cuff, and we were just having a conversation between two people, and I want you to sit in on it because you're going to be encouraged. She talks about incarnational parenting at the end. She talks about a couple of books that she wants to write, and one one of those books is well, actually both of them are are rocking good books and I hope that she's able to produce them. We also talked about her working in the church and, and helping the church to do better in this area of abuse. So we're gonna break right into this podcast right now. This is how we started at the end of last week's podcast. I hope you enjoy this one, Diane Keach. All right. We are done. I knew that it was going to take more than 30 minutes.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. We didn't even hardly get started, did we? <laughs> no.
0: and uh, But that's okay. Uh, you
1: w- asked some great questions. By the way, and I'm going to be honest with you, most pastors that I've ever met in my life, not all, but, but most, um, they, they kind of grow up second generation pastor, you know, ch- second generation Christians
0: Yeah.
1: and they've lived a wonderful life mm-hmm. and then they go into the ministry and they're in this kind of, this kind of Christian bubble almost their whole lives since they become Christian, they kind of live in this Christian bubble and, um, they don't understand the act, the actual, what's really going on in our culture. And so when they are hit with issues of domestic violence, sexual abuse, um, physical abuse, whatever, you know, severe mental health issues, um, they are, it, it's almost as if they can't even believe that this stuff exists. Right. Right? It's so outside the norm of their entire Christian life. And I've spent so many years, basically, I've worked with, I probably worked with 500 prostitutes. And I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of batterers. I've worked with murderers and drug dealers and sex offenders. And so it's like, so this is like my, my world, right? Right. (laughs) That I've worked with for all these years. And then when I go to the church and there's a domestic violence incident and they protect the batterer and they accuse the victim. And then no one's even looking at what's going on with the children. And these are reformed. I mean, we're talking Pastors who are excellent in everything they do and churches that are run super, super wonderfully. But then you get these issues in there. They're lost.
0: Yeah, I agree. When you started talking about the church, uh, I mean, I I heard the sound of the can opening, and that was a can of worms. And I was thinking, yeah, this is a whole other podcast. Uh, we get this all the time, uh, especially uh, women, uh, calling who have been abused. Uh, we don't get children because children don't contact us because they're at right. a, they're at a double disadvantage. They're being right. abused one, and then they have no voice too. And so we exactly. will we will hear women uh, p- primarily, uh, and it's such a huge problem in the church. And well, that's there's two podcasts I'd like to do in the future. One, uh, you talking about. Uh, this in the church, and then two maybe getting you and Daniel together if this thing ever comes to fruition, uh, because both of them both of them go together. I mean, talking about right. the, talking about the problem and then pres- presenting a uh, a comprehensive solution to the problem. Well, that I will wonder help. if we
1: could do a call out, um, Rick, because what we need, um, I. My piece is child protection, right? Uh-huh. But I'm not a pastor of a church. And I know I don't know that world. Right. I mean, I go to church and I love my church, but I'm not I'm not in leadership, right? I'm not an elder. I don't know the inner workings. I don't know um the legalities of it. Um I don't know the insurance pieces of it. I don't know the administration pieces of it. And then if there's a Christian school, um, I don't know that, how that's run. Um, and so I feel like we need we need a group of experts. I can do the child protection piece, but we need pastors who have successfully, um, who have experience in this, who have who have fa- who maybe have failed like 20 million times, but are learning how to maneuver through these issues. Um, we need attorneys who have helped churches. In the past, we need insurance people who have an understanding of what all this means and the implications. Um, we need, I think, we should include law enforcement, a Christian law enforcement person, in their perspective. Um, I think we need, you know, counselors, mental, you know, counsel, you know, counselors, church counselor type people. Um, we need like it needs to be what's what I would call a multidisciplinary team. Um. To work this.
0: I agree, and uh, there's another piece to it, which is which is at the heart of the problem. Uh, I pastored for five years, and pastoring is an impossible job. Uh, it's kind of like being a mother; uh, it's it's multitasking at an incredible level, and sometimes, well, not sometimes, most of the times, you do just go pragmatic. And what people do, what pastors do, is they're just looking for. A formula, they're looking for a book, they're looking for a system. And it's one of the reasons that they adopt whatever the government or whatever the culture is selling because it's already ready packaged. They can't spend time thinking about this. I mean, just what you described is what needs to happen with all of these uh, different individuals. And what we're asking a pastor to do is to do that. And he looks at that, and it's absolutely overwhelming to be able to lead that in addition to leading a congregation, preparing for sermons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so what we inevitably do is just go out and get a package from somewhere. And usually the package, I mean, it's it's, it's one of the reasons that we're so inundated with this uh, worldview, this humanistic worldview in foster care. I see this in counseling all the time. Uh, when I talk to pastors about uh, building a discipleship worldview in their church, uh what they inevitably do, they say, Oh, what well, do you do counseling? Because what we want to do is farm our people out. We don't have time uh, to be able mm. to do this preventative thing that you're talking about. Mm. And so when I say mm. that, you know, I'm part of a counseling ministry that trains people to do counseling, all they hear is, Oh, I can send my people to you. Uh, and they mm. do that for the reasons that I, I mentioned. And so mm-hmm. whatever is done, It has to – the whole process has to lessen the load of a pastor. And so if a reasonable, sound, biblical, intelligent community or group that you're talking about came along and said, we have the package, we can implement it, I think pastors would jump all over it. You just can't ask them
1: to do anything. Mm -hmm. I think what would be beneficial, to be honest with you, is not – I mean, have kind of a, a, a book, but not answer all the questions. I know this sounds weird. If, because what I'm hearing from you is if we just have a formula, then people will buy the book and use the formula. Exactly. But they may not go through the process.
0: Exactly. And it's
1: the process that brings change.
0: At this point in the podcast, Diane tells about a church that asked her to do consulting. We left the name of the church out
1: they had asked me to help them consult on some domestic violence cases and my, in, in, in kind of helping them through this consultation piece, what I realized is they really need to do a safe review of all these cases together as a team, a safe review. When you look at um, uh, your counseling cases and you say, are there safety issues for kids? Did we collect, did we analyze the situation um, about the, about the situation for safety did we have appropriate follow up plans regarding safety and are we holding the parents accountable to keep their kids safe right yeah. so we we apply that safe and i realize you know what we need to do is have a confidential team meeting with the counselors and review everybody's cases who have had domestic violence or sexual abuse and they, they need to look at them and do a self-evaluation, right? Yeah. And so I offered that to them. I said, I'll be happy to sit with you and help you go through that, that process. And they're like, oh, yeah, we really want to. But they never followed up. And I think the reason that they probably didn't follow up is because, boy, is it painful if you discover you didn't do what's right. I, th- I think that self-exploratory process has to be handled with such... I think an outside firm coming in, maybe. I don't know. I don't know.
0: Well, whatever. Yeah.
1: It's touchy.
0: Yeah, and the anything that sounds like work long-term uh, is difficult for pastors to hear, and I do understand that issue, and it has to be – I mean, there has to be – we have to deal with that. But also, I wanted to speak to the codification of things. I agree with that totally. I sometimes – Uh, People ask, you know, Rick, would you write a book on small group, you know, how to lead a small group? And I'm hesitant because and I'll tell them if I write a book on how to lead a small group, you might do what's in that book. And that would really be problematic because every small group is different. There's a pneumatic element to leading a small group and you can't codify it. And once you codify it. Once you package it, then everybody will do it that way, and right. and, and that will become problematic. And so there's that issue mm-hmm. as as well. It's working in the trenches and and interacting with with the different scenarios and learning that way. There are things that you can learn from a book, but you have to be careful about the codification of of material. And so I, I totally I totally get that point. It's tough because. Uh, yep yeah, people want a prepackaged material so they don't have to think about it it removes the work but then that really becomes a problem.
1: So you know I just real briefly you know the Nasser thing that happened.
0: Yeah.
1: Um in Michigan and there was a a, a really wonderful reformed Christian lady who kind of exposed that. She's an attorney now. She had been abused by him. And the church's response to her was her name is Rebecca I think. Yeah. was not very good. Yeah. And I I remember thinking, Lord, you know, you've given us the gospel, and you've given us everything, and it can all be derailed by one sexual abuse allegation that's not handled right. in a godly way. Yeah. yeah, Right? It can all, I mean, we can all end up like David. I, I think about David all the time and how he handled, you know, Amnon, and,
0: yeah,
1: you know, and I think, Lord, we can all ha- have this. The civil war on our hands because we refuse to address amnons yeah and um does that make sense
0: oh yeah absolutely yeah it's a big issue for whatever it's worth uh, you're in a big broad domain that it just doesn't seem possible uh to do what you do it seemed if you narrowed it became more specific specifically to the local church and and being that bridge uh, daniel's doing that uh in a sense uh he's he's a bridge between a bibliocentric view of psychology and the culture and he's having conversation and because he's intelligent in both fields Uh, It makes him a bridge that most people can't talk, you know, at his level. We don't have really anybody uh, that has a bibliocentric view of what you do communicating to the church. And I think it's one of the reasons that the church goes out and gets a prepackaged secular kit and this is what we do for our church because there's nobody really speaking into that space. I think if you did that, uh, it's just my opinion, but I think if you did that, I, I, I think it could be a huge work. You've got a wealth of history, a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experience um, that's really unassailable. And when you bring a sufficiency of Scripture view into it and in a practical way, a hands-on practical way of instructing churches i think it could really be phenomenal and it is the time for it because with i think with the proliferation of social media uh we we hear more about uh, abuse and so now uh it is part of the the national conversation now inside and outside the church because of social media and there needs to be a voice that stands up and um uh, it's an intelligent voice, that speak, a biblical voice that speaks into it. That's my opinion.
1: That's good. So, let me ask you about blog. I mean, you do, and I just want to con- congratulate you on the excellence of how you have run your podcasts and your blogs and your website. Oh, thank um, you. Very organized, very beautiful, very easy. Um, it is by far one of the best Christian sites that I have been on. Um, so I want to thank you for that. I have not been blogging and I have not even come out as a Christian. Like most, maybe people know I'm a Christian. I don't know. Um, but I have not come out as a Christian.
0: Out of the closet. You need to come out of that closet.
1: Uh, And the reason why I haven't is because, you know, I'm talking to media. I'm about to testify as an expert. And so I just don't want... in all my years in Wyandotte, I never talked about being a Christian because, on quite frankly, frankly, I work with very ultra liberal social workers.
0: Yep. yep. Um,
1: way uh, on the left. Yep. Way on the left, and I'm way. I'm not gonna say I'm way on the right, but I'm. I'm probably a centrist actually, because I. I'm neither Republican nor Democrat. I. I look at things from a biblical perspective. Right. But um. But you know, I don't ever I never told anybody. So coming out of the closet feels a little scary for me. And I had I have to decide how I'm gonna do that. And I think I think who is my audience, right? And I, I think my audience has to be the church.
0: Yeah, and once you answer that question, then everything else falls into place. Uh, yeah. once you once you know and I, I don't I don't struggle, you know, with not saying that or or not revealing that I'm a Christian uh, in certain context. uh, You you know, there's two sides to that. You can go Tim Tebow and uh, just put it out there, but he he has so much equity uh, in his skill set that people will tolerate the fact that he's a Christian, and it works well for him. And then the the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles does the same thing, Carson Wentz. If you look on his Instagram page, uh, he's very open about his Christianity, but that's because they'll take his Christianity as long as he can perform. And so there's right. there's that view uh, in in your culture. I, I'm not sure. Well, there's a couple of things you have to ask. One, I'm not I'm not sure that is that advantageous to say that you are a Christian, but there to me there's a greater issue than that. And and that is um where you can do the most good. And so you can spend your life working in that space. They are so far from God and they are so liberal and they are so everything else that the work that you do it seemed to me like you for for eternity's sake you could accomplish more with those who are willing to listen to you
1: Mm -hmm. i agree
0: and if my thing
1: is is i'm kind of done with politics because i don't care if you're republican or democrat there's just so much corruption and i it's unbelievable and i feel like um to be honest, the answer is the church.
0: Yeah, and I if say the
1: church does the if the church does what God has called her to do, then that's the, that's what we're supposed to do, right? And yeah. So,
0: and if you do that, you have a ton of experience. Uh, you have something that the church needs. It's just a matter of building out your platform. If you publish a book, if you start doing uh, the media, the social media stuff, which is not that hard, and by the way, it's all free. I mean, virtually. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I call it the redemptive use of technology. It's using technology redemptively, using it for God's fame. And once you learn how to do that, it's, it's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. Uh, and so God's been very kind to us. But you, you uh, that's what I was saying during the podcast, you're an anomaly. Uh, you, unique is overrated, but you're almost unique. And you have everything that you need. Uh, as far as experience and training, it's just a matter of creating your voice now. And once you create – once you start building your voice, uh, the, the church wants you. They want somebody because pastors, they just – they can't they're, – they're, they're not qualified. I don't mean that negative. Uh, it's just not been their experience. And it looks like God has done a ton with you. Uh, that he has raised you up it 's just a matter of giving you focus, but once you decide that, whether it 's the church or continue to do what you do, and then everything else can somewhat fall in place if you If you need you know help on the back side of things and creating a voice i mean there are some specific things that you have to do uh, but once it starts rolling, uh, you become that person in that space and You can really help a lot of people. I mean, I can just think of, I mean, you know way more than I do, but uh, a a lot of, especially moms who, but Christians as well, parents who do want to adopt and they want to be envisioned. And I had a group of folks a couple years ago, they asked me to come to their church and just talk to them about foster care. and. You know, how can we do it better? We want to, we want to do it, but we just feel so ill-equipped and somebody like you is perfect for that.
1: Well, I have three books kind of in my hopper brain that I have outlines for. It's going to sound very strange and you've probably never heard anybody talk about this before, but I, I'm writing a commentary. I'd love to write it in a story form, but I'm not there yet. I'm just writing a commentary on Judges 19 and 20, um, Because I look – that's the concubine who gets um, murdered and cut up into pieces and sent to 12 tribes. So I look at that from a forensic child protection investigation point of view. Um, I'm probably the only woman, if I comment – if I do write this commentary, I'm probably the only woman in the history of the world who's written a commentary on that.
0: How odd is Um, that?
1: All commentaries are written by men on that subject and not from a forensic point of view. And so my perspective after studying this for over 20 years, um, it's been on my heart, this, this particular scripture has been on my heart for over 20 years and I've been studying it, is that this, this woman was murdered by the Levite and that he's a domestic violent abuser and a religious abuser. All the signs are there. Wow. Um,
0: I'm intrigued. Because,
1: because Levites don't pick up dead bodies and carry them to their hometown. And and it never says that the, that the Benjamites murdered her
0: I in would, the scripture. I would want to – I would put that at the top of the list. I would want to read that uh, just, so, just because it's a uh, – I mean, what you have is <laughs> – you have a cold case. <laughs>
1: I, that's exactly this is a cold case so i'm working with some some rabbis to really get into the hebrew language
0: oh that would be so um, good
1: and so and, and then i'm going to be working with some forensic um, detectives to make sure that i'm on solid ground on the on the uh, forensic side um, and then my husband has a a THD and he's excellent, but I'm, I'm still going to talk to everybody. I can make sure that my theology is correct. Cause I'm not trying to read into the Bible. I'm actually trying to read the Bible. Um, sure. You know, in a way that actually looks, this is, this is, this is a criminal case and it deserves to have to be investigated from a, that perspective. And it's super exciting because what the Lord has taught me through these scriptures over the years is she is an unnamed, unknown, unwanted concubine, sold by her dad, not once but twice for for parties, right? Yeah. Um left to be raped, probably abused before then, and then and then her body is desecrated, right? And so this is, she doesn't even have a name.
0: Yeah, I was thinking of a name as you were as you were talking and this lady And her family uh, will rise up from the grave and say, thank you. Finally, after all these centuries, somebody's (laughs) taken my case.
1: But, you know, I used to rage against God on this. I mean, because I read the Bible through every single year of my life. And so every year I'd get to this and I'd have like this angry discussion with the Lord. Lord, why? Why? How can this? And this is so mean. And how can da da da? And I just, you know, I'd have all these questions with for the Lord. And he's so kind. Um and so and so he started to teach me, well look, look at look at his justice for this girl. An entire an almost an entire tribe was wiped out because of her for mm-hmm. her sake. Mm-hmm. We're talking like, like I think like 80,000 men died. That's the worth of one unnamed concubine.
0: Yep, I put that at the top of the list if I get a vote.
1: Okay. Because I was a reactive attachment disordered child, I'm one of the rare people who recovered from that diagnosis. Um, only Only Christians can recover from reactive attachment disorder because your conscience is seared from... From very young age. And so I want to, I want to actually reform that conversation. I don't like reactive attachment disorder in the DSM five. I think they do a great job of describing. They don't do a good job of explaining why or how anyone could ever be healed. Right. Um, And what I want to talk about is I believe the scripture defines those children as radically exposed children. And the answer is the covering of God. And the key to parenting that child is incarnational parenting. And so, um, because in the end, we're all radically exposed to children and God adopts us. And then after he adopts us, we rebel against him still and run away and he has to keep drawing us back, right? Right. And how does he do that? He does that by becoming one of us. Right. And dying on the cross and then giving us his spirit. It's all incarnational. It's all, it's an incarnational approach to parenting for those who've been traumatized by um, abuse and neglect. And so um, I'm actually working with my mother on this because she can tell her side of the story of what it was, re- what it was like to raise a really bad child who lies and steals and, you know, does all those bad things continually um, what her experience was like. And then t- I'm going to tell my experience. And then I actually raised s- five stepchildren. I like the sound of music. I married a widower with five kids. And so I raised five stepchildren who also were not bonded to me. So Wait a minute. Uh,
0: is, it, is that a true story? What did you just mm-hmm. say? Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, my husband um, lost his wife in 1989 And I moved to Kansas City in 1990 and became his nanny and married him. And I um, inherited five children in one day. And these children were not bonded to me, of course, right? And so that's a whole nother. So incarnational parenting for kids who have been traumatized by loss and grief and all that stuff is really how God parents us.
0: Yeah, I think you need to get out of the secular world and get into the church. (laughs)